August 26th. Preach to my people from John 6:51-55. After I had discoursed some time, I addressed those in particular who entertained hopes that they were passed from death to life. Open to them the persevering nature of those consolations Christ gives his people, and which I trust that he had bestowed upon some in that assembly. Showed them that such have already the beginnings of eternal life, ver. 54 and that their heaven shall speedily be completed, etc. I no sooner began to discourse in this strain, but the dear Christians in the congregation began to be melted with affection to, and desire of, the enjoyment of Christ, and of a state of perfect purity. They wept affectionately, and yet joyfully, and their tears and sobs discovered brokenness of heart, and yet were attended with real comfort and sweetness. So that this was a tender, affectionate, humble, delightful melting, and appeared to be the genuine effect of a spirit of adoption, and very far from that spirit of bondage that they not long since labored under. The influence seemed to spread from these through the whole assembly, and there quickly appeared a wonderful concern among them. Many who had not yet found Christ as an all-sufficient Savior, were surprisingly engaged in seeking after Him. It was indeed a lovely and very desirable assembly. Their number was now about ninety-five persons, old and young, and almost all affected either with joy, in Christ Jesus, or with utmost concern to obtain an interest in Him. Being fully convinced it was now my duty to take a journey far back to the Indians on Susquehanna River, it being now a proper season of the year to find them generally at home, after having spent some hours in public and private discourses with my people, I told them, that I must now leave them for the present, and go to their brethren far remote, and preach to them. That I wanted the Spirit of God should go with me, without whom nothing could be done to any good purpose among the Indians as they themselves had opportunity to see, and observe, by the barrenness of our meetings at some times, when I was much pains taken to affect and awaken sinners, and yet to little or no purpose and asked them, if they could not be willing to spend the remainder of the day in prayer for me, that God would go with me, and succeed my endeavors for the conversion of those poor souls. They cheerfully complied with the motion, and soon after I left them the sun being then about an hour and a half high at night they began, and continued praying all night, till break of day, or very near, never mistrusting, they tell me till they went out and viewed the stars, and saw the morning star a considerable height, that it was later than common bedtime. Thus eager and then weird were they in their devotions. A remarkable night it was, attended, as my interpreter tells me, with a powerful influence upon those who were yet under concern, as well as those that had received comfort. There were, I trust, this day two distressed souls brought to the enjoyment of solid comfort in him, in whom the weary find rest. It was likewise remarkable, that this day an old Indian, who has all his days been an obstinate idolater, was brought to give up his rattles which they use for music in their idolatrous feasts and dances to the other Indians, who quickly destroyed them. And this without any attempt of mine in the affair, I having said nothing to him about it. So that it seemed it was nothing but just a power of God's word, without any particular application to the sin, that produced this effect. Thus God has begun, thus he has hitherto surprisingly carried on a work of grace amongst these Indians. May the glory be ascribed to him, who is the sole author of it. Forks of Delaware, in Pennsylvania, September 1745. Lord's Day, September 1st. Preached to the Indians here from Luke 14:16-23. The word appeared to be attended with some power, and caused some tears in the assembly. Afterwards preached to a number of white people present, and observed many of them in tears, and some who had formerly been as careless and unconcerned about religion perhaps as the Indians. Towards night discoursed to the Indians again, and perceived a greater attention, and more visible concern among them than has been usual in these parts. September 3rd. Preached to the Indians from. He is despised and rejected of men, etc. The Divine Presence seemed to be in the midst of the assembly, and a considerable concern spread amongst them. Sundry persons seemed to be awakened, amongst whom were two stupid creatures that I could scarce ever before keep awake while I was discoursing to them. Could not but rejoice at this appearance of things, although at the same time I could not but fear, lest the concern they at present manifested, might prove like a morning cloud, 
as something of that nature had formerly done in these parts. September 5th. Discourse to the Indians from the parable of the sower, afterwards conversed particularly with sundry persons, which occasioned them to weep, and even cry out in an affecting manner, and seized others with surprise and concern. And I doubt not but that a divine power accompanied what was then spoken. Sundry of these persons had been with me to cross Wixung, and had there seen, and some of them, I trust, felt the power of God's word in an effectual and saving manner. I asked one of them, who had obtained comfort, and given hopeful evidences of being truly religious, why he now cried. He replied, when he thought how Christ was slain like a lamb, and spilt his blood for sinners, he could not help crying, when he was all alone and thereupon burst out into tears and cries again. I then asked his wife, who had likewise been abundantly comforted, wherefore she cried. She answered, she was grieved that the Indians here would not come to Christ, as well as those at Cross Wixung. I asked her if she found a heart to pray for them, and whether Christ had seemed to be near to her of late in prayer, as in time past. Which is my usual method of expressing a sense of the Divine Presence. She replied, yes, he had been near to her. And that it sometimes when she had been praying alone, her heart loved to pray so, that she could not bear to leave the place, but wanted to stay and pray longer. September 7th. Preached to the Indians from John 635-39. There was not so much appearance of concern among them as at several other times of late. Yet they appeared serious and attentive. Lord's Day, September 8th. Discourse to the Indians in the forenoon from John 1244-50 in the afternoon from Acts 236-39. The word of God at this time seemed to fall with weight and influence upon them. There were but few present, but most that were, were in tears, and sundry cried out under distressing concern for their souls. There was one man considerably awakened, who never before discovered any concern for his soul. There appeared a remarkable work of the Divine Spirit among them, almost generally, not unlike what has been of late at Cross Wixung. It seemed as if the Divine influence had spread from thence to this place. Although something of it appeared here in the awakening of my interpreter, his wife, and some few others. Sundry of the careless white people now present were awakened, or at least startled, seeing time power of God so prevalent among the Indians. I then made a particular address to them, which seemed to make some impression upon them, and excite some affection in them. There are sundry Indians in these parts who have always refused to hear me preach, and have been enraged against those that have attended my preaching but of late they are more bitter than ever, scoffing at Christianity, and sometimes asking my hearers, how often they have cried, and whether they have not now cried enough to do the turn, etc., so that they have already trial of cruel mockings. September 9th. Left the Indians in the forks of Delaware, and set out on a journey towards Susquehanna River, directing my course towards the Indian town more than 120 miles westward from the forks traveled about 15 miles, and there lodged. September 13th. After having lodged out three nights, arrived at the Indian town I aimed at on Susquehanna, called Shamaking, one of the places, and the largest of them, that I visited in May last, and was kindly received and entertained by the Indians but had little satisfaction by reason of the heavenish dance and revel they then held in the house where I was obliged to lodge, which I could not suppress though I often entreated them to desist, for the sake of one of their own friends who was then sick in the house, and whose disorder was much aggravated by the noise. Alas! How destitute of natural affection are these poor uncultivated pagans! Although they seem somewhat kind in their own way. Of a truth, the dark corners of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. This town as I observed in my journal of May last lies partly on the east side of the river, partly on the west, and partly on a large island in it, and contains upwards of fifty houses, and they tell me, near three hundred persons, though I never saw much more than half that number in it. But of three different tribes of Indians, speaking three languages wholly unintelligible to each other. About one half of its inhabitants are Delawares, the others called Senex, and Tudelas. The Indians of this place are counted the most drunken, mischievous, 
and ruffianly fellows of any in these parts and Satan seems to have his seat in this town in an eminent manner. September 14th. Visited he Delaware King, who was supposed to be at the point of death when I was here in May last, but was now recovered, and discoursed with him and others respecting Christianity, and spent the afternoon with them, and had more encouragement than I expected. The king appeared kindly disposed, and willing to be instructed this gave me some encouragement that God would open an effectual door for my preaching the gospel here, and set up his kingdom in this place. Which was a support and refreshment to me in the wilderness, and rendered my solitary circumstances comfortable and pleasant. Lord Day, September 15th. Visited the chief of the Delawares again. Was kindly received by him, and discoursed to the Indians in the afternoon. Still entertained hopes that God would open their hearts to receive the gospel, though many of them in the place were so drunk from day to day, that I could get no opportunity to speak to them. Towards night discoursed with one that understood the languages of the six nations, as they are usually called, who discovered an inclination to hearken to Christianity. Which gave me some hopes that the gospel might hereafter be sent to those nations far remote. September 16th. Spent the forenoon with the Indians, endeavoring to instruct them from house to house, and to engage them, as far as I could, to be friendly to Christianity. Torb's night went to one part of the town where they were sober, and got together near fifty persons of them, and discoursed to them, having first obtained the king's cheerful consent. There was a surprising attention among them, and they manifested a considerable desire of being further instructed. There was also one or two that seemed to be touched with some concern for their souls, who appeared well pleased with some conversation in private, after I had concluded my public discourse to them. My spirits were much refreshed with this appearance of things, and I could not but return with my interpreter having no other companion in this journey to my poor hard lodgings, rejoicing in hopes that God designed to set up his kingdom here, where Satan now reigns in the most eminent manner, and found uncommon freedom in addressing the throne of grace for the accomplishment of so great and glorious a work. September 17th. Spent the forenoon in visiting and discoursing to the Indians. About noon left Shamaking, most of the Indians going out this day on their hunting design, and traveled down the river southwestward. September 19th. Visited an Indian town called Jankata, situate on an island in Susquehanna. Was much discouraged with the temper and behavior of the Indians here, although they appeared friendly when I was with them the last spring, and then gave me encouragement to come and see them again. But they now seemed resolved to retain their pagan notions and persist in their idolatrous practices. September 20th. Visited the Indians again at Jankata Island, and found them almost universally very busy in making preparations for a great sacrifice and dance. Had no opportunity to get them together in order to discourse with them about Christianity, by reason of their being so much engaged about their sacrifice. My spirits were much sunk with a prospect so very discouraging and especially seeing I had now no interpreter but a pagan, who was as much attached to idolatry as any of them. My own interpreter having left me the day before, being obliged to attend upon some important business elsewhere, and knowing that he could neither speak nor understand the language of these Indians. So that I was under the greatest disadvantages imaginable. However, I attempted to discourse privately with some of them, but without any appearance of success notwithstanding, I still tarried with them. In the evening they met together, near a hundred of them, and danced round a large fire, having prepared ten fat deer for the sacrifice. The fat of whose inwards they burnt in the fire while they were dancing, and sometime raised the flame to a prodigious height, at the same time yelling and shouting in such a manner, that they might easily have been heard two miles or more. They continued their sacred dance all night, or near the matter after which they ate the flesh of the sacrifice, and so retired each one to his lodging. I enjoyed little satisfaction this night, being entirely alone on the island, as to any Christian company, and in the midst of this idolatrous revel. And having walked to and fro till body and mind were pained and much oppressed, I at length crept into a little crib made for corn, and there slept on the poles. Lord's Day, September 21st. Spent the day with the Indians on the island. As soon as they were well up in the morning, I attempted to instruct them, 
and labored for that purpose to get them together, but quickly found they had something else to do. For near noon they gathered together all their powos, or conjurers, and set about half a dozen of them to playing their juggling tricks, and acting their frantic distracted postures, in order to find out why they were then so sickly upon the island, numbers of them being at that time disordered with a fever, and bloody flux. In this exercise they were engaged for several hours, making all the wild, ridiculous, and distracted motions imaginable. Sometimes singing. Sometimes howling. Sometimes extending their hands to the utmost stretch, spreading all their fingers. And they seemed to push with them, as if they designed to fright something away, or at least keep it off at arm's end. Sometimes stroking their faces with their hands, then spurting water as fine as mist. Sometimes sitting flat on the earth, then bowing down their faces to the ground. Wringing their sides, as if in pain and anguish. Twisting their faces, turning up their eyes, grunting, puffing, etc. Their monstrous actions tended to excite ideas of horror, and seemed to have something in them, as I thought, peculiarly suited to raise the devil, if he could be raised by anything odd, ridiculous, and frightful. Some of them, I could observe, were much more fervent and devout on the business than others, and seemed to chant, peep, and mutter with a great degree of warmth and vigour, as if determined to awaken and engage the powers below. I sat at a small distance, not more than thirty feet from them, though undiscovered, with my Bible in my hand, resolving, if possible, to spoil their sport, and prevent their receiving any answers from the infernal world, and their view the whole scene. They continued their hideous charms and incantations for more than three hours, until they had all wearied themselves out, although they had in that space of time taken sundry intervals of rest. And at length broke up, I apprehended, without receiving any answer at all. After they had done powwowing, I attempted to discourse with them about Christianity. But they soon scattered, and gave me no opportunity for anything of that nature. A view of these things while I was entirely alone in the wilderness, destitute of the society of anyone that so much as named the name of Christ, greatly sunk my spirits, gave me the most gloomy turn of mine imaginable, almost stripped me of all resolution and hope respecting further attempts for propagating the gospel, and converting the pagans, and rendered this the most burdensome and disagreeable Sabbath that ever I saw. But nothing, I can truly say, sunk and distressed me like the loss of my hope respecting their conversion. This concern appeared so great, and seemed to be so much my own, that I seemed to have nothing to do on earth if this failed. A prospect of the greatest success in the saving conversion of souls under gospel light, would have done little or nothing towards compensating for the loss of my hope in this respect. And my spirits now were so damped and depressed, that I had no heart nor power to make any further attempts among them for that purpose, and could not possibly recover my hope, resolution and courage, by the utmost of my endeavors. The Indians of this island can many of them understand the English language considerably well, having formerly lived in some part of Maryland among or near the white people, but are very vicious, drunken, and profane, although not so savage as those who have less acquaintance with the English. Their customs in divers respects differed from those of other Indians upon this river. They do not bury their dead in a common form but let their flesh consume above ground in close cribs made for that purpose. And at the end of a year, or sometimes a longer space of time, they take the bones, when the flesh is all consumed, and wash and scrape them, and afterwards bury them with some ceremony. Their method of charming or conjuring over the sick, seems somewhat different from that of other Indians, though for substance the same in the whole of it, among these and others, perhaps is an imitation of what seems by Naaman's expression, 2 Kings 5.11 to have been the custom of the ancient heathens. For it seems chiefly to consist in their striking their hands over the diseased, repeatedly stroking them, and calling upon their gods, accepting the spurting of water like a mist, and some other frantic ceremonies, common to the other conjurations I have already mentioned. When I was in these parts in May last, I had an opportunity of learning many of the notions and customs of the Indians, as well as of observing many of their practices. I then traveled more than 130 miles upon the river above the English settlements, and had in that journey a view of some persons of seven or eight distinct tribes, 
speaking so many different languages. But of all the sights I ever saw among them, or indeed anywhere else, none appeared so frightful, or so near akin to what is usually imagined of infernal powers none ever excited such images of terror in my mind as the appearance of one who was a devout and zealous reformer, or rather restorer of what he supposed was the ancient religion of the Indians. He made his appearance in his pontifical garb, which was a coat of bear skins dressed with the hair on, and hanging down to his toes, a pair of bear skin stockings, and a great wooden face, painted the one half black, and the other tiny, about the color of an Indian skin, with an extravagant mouth, cut very much awry. The face fastened to a bear skin cap, which was drawn over his head. He advanced toward me with the instrument in his hand that he used for music in his idolatrous worship which was a dry tortoise shell, with sore econ in it, and the neck of it drawn on to a piece of wood, which made a very convenient handle. As he came forward, he beat his tune with the rattle, and danced with all his might, but did not suffer any part of his body, not so much as his fingers, to be seen and no man would have guessed by his appearance and actions, that he could have been a human creature, if they had not had some intimation of it otherwise. When he came near me, I could not but shrink away from him, although it was the noonday, and I knew who it was, his appearance and gestures were so prodigiously frightful. He had a house consecrated to religious uses, with divers images cut out upon the several parts of it. I went in and found the ground beat almost as hard as a rock with their frequent dancing in it. I discoursed with him about Christianity, and some of my discourse he seemed to like, but some of it he disliked entirely. He told me that God had taught him his religion, and that he never would turn from it, but wanted to find some that would join heartily with him in it. For the Indians, he said, were grown very degenerate and corrupt. He had thoughts, he said, of leaving all his friends, and traveling abroad, in order to find some that would join with him. For he believed God had some good people somewhere that felt as he did. He had not always, he said, felt as he now did, but had formerly been like the rest of the Indians until about four or five years before that time then he said his heart was very much distressed, so that he could not live among the Indians, but got away into the woods, and lived alone for some months. At length, he says, God comforted his heart, and showed him what he should do. And since that time he had known God and tried to serve him, and loved all men, be they who they would, so as he never did before. He treated me with uncommon courtesy, and seemed to be hearty in it. And I was told by the Indians, that he opposed their drinking strong liquor with all his power. And if at any time he could not dissuade them from it, by all he could say, he would leave them and go crying into the woods. It was manifest he had a set of religious notions that he had looked into for himself, and not taken for granted upon bare tradition. And he relished or disrelished whatever was spoken of a religious nature according as it either agreed or disagreed with the standard. And while I was discoursing he would sometimes say, Now that I like so God has taught me, etc. And some of his sentiments seemed very just. Yet he utterly denied the being of a devil, and declared there was no such a creature known among the Indians of old times, whose religion he supposed he was attempting to revive. He likewise told me that departed souls all went southward, and that the difference between the good and bad was this, that the former were admitted into a beautiful town with spiritual walls, or walls agreeable to the nature of souls, and that the latter would forever hover round those walls, and in vain attempt to get in. He seemed to be sincere, honest, and conscientious in his own way, and according to his own religious notions, which was more than I ever saw in any other pagan. I perceived he was looked upon and derided amongst most of the Indians as a precise zealot, that made a needless noise about religious matters. But I must say, there was something in his temper and disposition that looked more like true religion than anything I ever observed amongst other heathens. But, alas! How deplorable is the state of the Indians upon this river! The brief representation I have here given of their notions and manners, is sufficient to show that they are led captive by Satan at his will, in the most eminent manner and, methinks, might likewise be sufficient to excite the compassion, and engage the prayers, of pious souls for these their fellow men, who sit in the regions of the shadow of death. September 22nd
made some further attempts to instruct and Christianize the Indians on this island, but all to no purpose. They live so near the white people, that they are always in the way of strong liquor, as well as the ill examples of nominal Christians, which renders it so unspeakably difficult to treat with them about Christianity. Forks of Delaware, October, 1745. October 1st. Discourse to the Indians here, and spent some time in private conferences with them about their soul's concerns, and afterwards invited them to accompany, or if not, to follow, me down to cross Weeksung, as soon as their conveniency would admit. Which invitation sundry of them cheerfully accepted. Cross Weeksung, in New Jersey, October, 1745. Preach to my people from John 14 1-6. The Divine Presence seemed to be in the assembly. Numbers were affected with divine truths, and it was a season of comfort to some in particular. Oh what a difference is there between these and the Indians I had lately treated with upon Susquehanna. To be with those seemed like being banished from God, and all his people. To be with these, like being admitted into his family, and to the enjoyment of his divine presence. How great is the change lately made upon numbers of these Indians who not many months ago were as thoughtless and averse to Christianity as those upon Susquehanna. And how astonishing is that grace which has made this change. Lord's Day, October 6th. Preached in the forenoon from John 107 7-11. There was a considerable melting among my people. The dear young Christians were refreshed, comforted, and strengthened, and one or two persons newly awakened in the afternoon I discoursed on the story of the jailer. Acts 16 and in the evening expounded Acts 21-12. There was at this time a very agreeable melting spread through the whole assembly. I think I scarce ever saw a more desirable affection in any number of people in my life. There was scarce a dry eye to be seen among them, and yet nothing boisterous or unseemly, nothing that tended to disturb the public worship, but rather to encourage and excite a Christian ardor and spirit of devotion. Those who I have reason to hope, were savingly renewed, were first affected and seemed to rejoice much, but with brokenness of spirit and godly fear. Their exercises were much the same with those mentioned in my journal of August 26, evidently appearing to be the genuine effect of a spirit of adoption. After public service was over I withdrew, being much tired with the labors of the day, and the Indians continued praying among themselves for near two hours together which continued exercises appeared to be attended with a blessed quickening influence from on high. I could not but earnestly wish that numbers of God's people had been present at the season, to see and hear these things, which I am sure must refresh the heart of every true lover of Zion's interest. To see those who very lately were savage pagans and idolaters, having no hope, and without God in the world, now filled with a sense of divine love and grace, and worshipping the Father in spirit and in truth as numbers here appeared to do, was not a little affecting. And especially to see them appear so tender and humble, as well as lively, fervent, and devout on the divine service. October 24th. Discoursed from John 4:13, 14. There was a great attention, a desirable affection, and an unaffected melting in the assembly. It is surprising to see how eager they are of hearing the word of God. I have oftentimes thought they would cheerfully and diligently attend divine worship 24 hours together, had they an opportunity so to do. October 25th. Discourse to my people respecting the resurrection, from Luke 20 27-36. And when I came to mention the blessedness the godly shall enjoy at that season. Their final freedom from death, sin, and sorrow. Their equality to the angels in regard of their nearness to, and enjoyment of, Christ. Some imperfect degree of which they are favored within the present life, from whence springs their sweetest comfort. And their being the children of God, openly acknowledged by Him as such. I say, when I mention these things, numbers of them were much affected, and melted with the view of this blessed state. October 26th. Being called to assist in the administration of the Lord's Supper, in a neighboring congregation, I invited my people to go with me who in general embraced the opportunity cheerfully, and attended the several discourses of that solemnity with diligence and affection, most of them now understanding something of the English language. Lord's Day, October 27th. 
while I was preaching to a vast assembly of people abroad, who appeared generally easy and secure enough, there was one Indian woman, a stranger, who never heard me preach before, nor ever regarded anything about religion being now persuaded by some of her friends to come to meeting, though much against her will was seized with pressing concern for her soul, and soon after expressed a great desire of going home, more than forty miles distant, to call her husband, that he also might be awakened to a concern for his soul. Some other of the Indians also appeared to be affected with divine truths this day. The pious people of the English, numbers of whom I had opportunity to converse with, seemed refreshed with seeing the Indians worship God in that devout and solemn manner with the assembly of his people and with those mentioned Acts 11:18. They could not but glorify God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. October 28th. Preached again to a great assembly, at which time some of my people appeared affected. And when public worship was over, were inquisitive whether there would not be another sermon in the evening, or before the sacramental solemnity was concluded. Being still desirous to hear God's word. Cross Week Song, October 28th. Discoursed from Matthew 22-13. I was unable to open the scripture and adapt my discourse and expressions to the capacities of my people, I know not how, in a plain, easy, and familiar manner, beyond all that I could have done by the utmost study and this, without any special difficulty. Yea, with as much freedom as if I had been addressing a common audience, who had been instructed in the doctrine of Christianity all their days. The word of God at this time seemed to fall upon the assembly with a divine power and influence, especially toward the close of my discourse there was both a sweet melting and bitter mourning in the audience. The dear Christians were refreshed and comforted, convictions revived in others, and sundry persons newly awakened who had never been with us before. And so much of the divine presence appeared in the assembly, that it seemed this was no other than the house of God, and the gate of heaven and all that had any savor and relish of divine things were even constrained by the sweetness of that season to say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If ever there was amongst my people an appearance of the new Jerusalem as a bride adorned for her husband, there was much of it at this time. And so agreeable was the entertainment where such tokens of the divine presence were, that I could scarce be willing in the evening to leave the place, and repair to my lodgings. I was refreshed with the view of the continuance of this blessed work of grace among them, and its influence upon strangers of the Indians that had of late, from time to time, providentially fallen into these parts. November 1st. Discoursed from Luke 24 briefly explaining the whole chapter, and insisting especially upon some particular passages. The discourse was attended with some affectionate concern upon some of the hearers, though not equal to what has often appeared among them. Lord's Day, November 3rd. Preach to my people from Luke 16:17. And it is easier for heaven and earth, etc. more especially for the sake of several lately brought under deep concern for their souls. There was some apparent concern and affection in the assembly, though far less than has been usual of late. Afterwards I baptized fourteen persons of the Indians, six adults and eight children one of these was near fourscore years of age and I have reason to hope God has brought her savingly home to himself. Two of the others were men of fifty years old, who had been singular and remarkable, even among the Indians, for their wickedness. One of them had been a murderer, and both notorious drunkards, as well as excessively quarrelsome. But now I cannot but hope both are become subjects of God's special grace, especially the worst of them. I deferred their baptism for many weeks after they had given evidences of having passed a great change, that I might have more opportunities to observe the fruits of the impressions they had been under, and apprehended the way was now clear. There was not one of the adults I baptized, but what had given me some comfortable grounds to hope, that God had wrought a work of special grace in their hearts. Although I could not have the same degree of satisfaction respecting one or two of them, as the rest. November 4th. Discoursed from John 11 briefly explaining most of the chapter. Divine truths made deep impressions upon many in the assembly. Numbers were affected with the view of the power of Christ, manifested in his raising the dead. 
and especially when this instance of his power was improved to show his power and ability to raise dead souls such as many of them then felt themselves to be to a spiritual life, as also to raise the dead at the last day, and dispense to them due rewards and punishments. They were sundry of the persons lately come here from remote places, that were now brought under deep and pressing concern for their souls, particularly one who not long since came half drunk, and railed on us, and attempted by all means to disturb us while engaged in the divine worship was now so concerned and distressed for her soul, that she seemed unable to get any ease without an interest in Christ. There were many tears and affectionate sobs and groans in the assembly in general, some weeping for themselves, others for their friends. And although persons are doubtless much easier affected now, than they were in the beginning of this religious concern, when tears and cries for their souls were things unheard of among them. Yet I must say, their affection in general appeared genuine and unfeigned. And especially this appeared very conspicuous in those newly awakened. So that true and genuine convictions of sin seem still to be begun and promoted in many instances. Baptized a child this day and perceive sundry of the baptized persons affected with the administration of this ordinance, as being thereby reminded of their own solemn engagements. I have now baptized in all forty-seven persons of the Indians, twenty-three adults, and twenty-four children. Thirty-five of them belonging to these parts, and the rest to the forks of Delaware and, through rich grace, none of them as yet have been left to disgrace their profession of Christianity by any scandalous or unbecoming behavior. General Remarks on Part First I might now justly make many remarks on a work of grace so very remarkable as this has been in divers respects. But shall confine myself to a few general hints only. First, it is remarkable that God began this work among the Indians at a time when I had the least hope, and, to my apprehension, the least rational prospect of, seeing a work of grace propagated amongst them my bodily strength being then much wasted by a late tedious journey to Susquehanna, where I was necessarily exposed to hardships and fatigues among the Indians my mind being also exceedingly depressed with the view of the unsuccessfulness of my labors. I had little reason so much as to hope that God had made me instrumental in the saving conversion of any of the Indians, except my interpreter and his wife. Whence I was ready to look upon myself as a burden to the honorable society, that employed and supported me in this business, and began to entertain serious thoughts of giving up my mission. And almost resolved I would do so at the conclusion of the present year, if I had then no better prospect of special success in my work than I had hitherto had. I cannot say I entertained these thoughts because I was weary of the labors and fatigues that necessarily attended my present business, or because I had light and freedom in my own mind to turn any other way but purely through dejection of spirit, pressing discouragement, and an apprehension of its being unjust to spend money consecrated to religious uses, only to civilize the Indians, and bring them to an external profession of Christianity. This was all that I could then see any prospect of having effected, while God seemed, as I thought, evidently to frown upon the design of their saving conversion, by withholding the convincing and renewing influences of his blessed spirit from attending the means I had hitherto used with them for that end. And in this frame of mind I first visited these Indians at Cross Wixung, apprehending it was my indispensable duty, seeing I had heard there was a number in these parts, to make some attempts for their conversion to God, though I cannot say I had any hope of success, my spirits being now so extremely sunk and I do not know that my hopes respecting the conversion of the Indians were ever reduced to so low an ebb, since I had any special concern for them, as at this time. And yet this was the very season that God saw fittest to begin this glorious work in. And thus he ordained strength out of weakness, by making bare his almighty arm at a time when all hopes and human probabilities most evidently appeared to fail. Whence I learn, that it is good to follow the path of duty, though in the midst of darkness and discouragement. Tude lie, it is remarkable how God providentially, and in a manner almost unaccountable, called these Indians together to be instructed in the great things that concern their souls. And how he sees their minds with the most solemn and weighty concern for their eternal salvation, as fast as they came to the place where his word was preached. When I first came into these parts in June, I found not one man at the place I visited but only four women and a few children, 
but before I had been here many days they gathered from all quarters, some from more than twenty miles distant. And when I made them a second visit in the beginning of August, some came more than forty miles to hear me. And many came without any intelligence of what was going on here, and consequently without any design of theirs, so much as to gratify their curiosity. So that it seemed as if God had summoned them together from all quarters for nothing else but to deliver his message to them. And that he did this, with regard to some of them, without making use of any human means. Although there were pains taken by some of them to give notice to others at remote places. Nor is it less surprising that they were one after another affected with a solemn concern for their souls, almost as soon as they came upon the spot where divine truths were taught them. I could not but think often, that their coming to the place of our public worship, was like Saul and his messengers coming among the prophets. They no sooner came but they prophesied. And these were almost as soon affected with a sense of their sin and misery, and with an earnest concern for deliverance, as they made their appearance in our assembly. After this work of grace began with power among them, it was common for strangers of the Indians, before they had been with us one day, to be much awakened, deeply convinced of their sin and misery, and to inquire with great solicitude, what they should do to be saved. 3D It is likewise remarkable how God preserved these poor ignorant Indians from being prejudiced against me, and the truths I taught them, by those means that were used with them for that purpose by ungodly people. There were many attempts made by some ill-minded persons of the white people to prejudice them against, or fright them from, Christianity. They sometimes told them, the Indians were well enough already that there was no need of all this noise about Christianity that if they were Christians, they would be in no better, no safer, or happier state, than they were already in, etc. Sometimes they told them that I was a knave, a deceiver, and the like that I daily taught them lies, and had no other design but to impose upon them, etc. And when none of these, and such like suggestions, would avail to their purpose, they then tried another expedient, and told the Indians, my design was to gather together as large a body of them as I possibly could, and then sell them to England for slaves. Than which nothing could be more likely to terrify the Indians, they being naturally of a jealous disposition, and the most averse to a state of servitude perhaps of any people living. But all these wicked insinuations, through divine goodness overruling, constantly turned against the authors of them, and only served to engage the affections of the Indians more firmly to me for they being awakened to a solemn concern for their souls, could not but observe, that the persons who indeed were to embitter their minds against me, were altogether unconcerned about their own souls, and not only so, but vicious and profane. And thence could not but argue, that if they had no concern for their own, it was not likely they should have for the souls of others. It seems yet the more wonderful that the Indians were preserved from once hearkening to these suggestions, inasmuch as I was an utter stranger among them, and could give them no assurance of my sincere affection to and concern for them, by anything that was past while the persons that insinuated these things were their old acquaintance, who had frequent opportunities of gratifying their thirsty appetites with strong drink, and consequently, doubtless, had the greatest interest in their affections. But from this instance of their preservation from fatal prejudices, I have had occasion with admiration to say, if God will work, who can hinder? Fourth lie, nor is it less wonderful how God was pleased to provide a remedy for my want of skill and freedom in the Indian language, by remarkably fitting my interpreter for, and assisting him in, the performance of his work. It might reasonably be supposed I must needs labor under a vast disadvantage in addressing the Indians by an interpreter. And that divine truths would unavoidably lose much of the energy and pathos with which they might at first be delivered, by reason of their coming to the audience from a second hand. But although this has often, to my sorrow and discouragement, been the case in times past, when my interpreter had little or no sense of divine things, yet now it was quite otherwise. I cannot think my addresses to the Indians ordinarily since the beginning of the season of grace, have lost anything of their power pungency with which they were made, unless it were sometimes for want of pertinent and pathetic terms and expressions in the Indian language which difficulty could not have been much redressed by my personal acquaintance with their language. My interpreter had before gained some good degree of doctrinal knowledge, 
whereby he was rendered capable of understanding and communicating, without mistakes, the intent and meaning of my discourses, and that without being confined strictly, and obliged to interpret verbatim. He had likewise, to appearance, unexperimental acquaintance with divine things. And it pleased God at this season to inspire his mind with longing desires for the conversion of the Indians, and to give him admirable zeal and fervency in addressing them in order thereto. And it is remarkable, that when I was favored with any special assistance in any work, and enabled to speak with more than common freedom, fervency, and power, under a lively and affecting sense of divine things, he was usually affected in the same manner almost instantly, and seemed at once quickened and enabled to speak in the same pathetic language, and under the same influence that I did. And a surprising energy often accompanied the word at such seasons. So that the face of the whole assembly would be apparently changed almost in an instant, and tears and sobs became common among them. He also appeared to have such a clear doctrinal view of God's usual methods of dealing with souls under a preparatory work of conviction and humiliation as he never had before. So that I could, with his help, discourse freely with the distressed persons about their internal exercises, their fears, discouragements, temptations, etc. He likewise took pains day and night to repeat and inculcate upon the minds of the Indians the truths I taught them daily. And this he appeared to do, not from spiritual pride, and an affectation of setting himself up as a public teacher, but from a spirit of faithfulness, and an honest concern for their souls. His conversation among the Indians has likewise, so far as I know, been sovereign, as becomes a Christian and the person employed in his work. And I may justly say, he has been a great comfort to me, and a great instrument of promoting this good work among the Indians so that whatever be the state of his own soul, it is apparent God has remarkably fitted him for this work. And thus God has manifested that, without bestowing on me the gift of tongues, he could find a way wherein I might be as effectually enabled to convey the truths of his glorious gospel to the minds of these poor benighted pagans. Fifth lie, it is further remarkable, that God has carried on his work here by such means, and in such a manner, as tended to obviate, and leave no room for, those prejudices and objections that have often been raised against such a work. When persons have been awakened to a solemn concern for their souls, by hearing the more awful truths of God's word, and the terrors of the divine law, insisted upon, it has usually in such cases been objected by some, that such persons were only frighted with a fearful noise of hell and damnation. And that there was no evidence that their concern was the effect of a divine influence. But God has left no room for this objection in the present case, this work of grace having been begun and carried on by almost one continued strain of gospel invitation to perishing sinners. This may reasonably be guessed, from a view of the passages of scripture I chiefly insisted upon in my discourses from time to time, which I have for that purpose inserted in my journal. Nor have I ever seen so general an awakening in any assembly in my life as appeared here, while I was opening and insisting upon the parable of the Great Supper, Luke 14 inches which discourse I was enabled to set before my hearers the unsearchable riches of gospel grace. Not that I would be understood here, that I never instructed the Indians respecting their fallen state, and the sinfulness and misery of it for this was what I at first chiefly insisted upon with them and endeavoring to repeat and inculcate in almost every discourse, knowing that without this foundation I should but build upon the sand, and that it would be in vain to invite them to Christ, unless I could convince them of their need of Him, Mark 2.17. But still, this great awakening, this surprising concern, was never excited by any harangues of terror, but always appeared most remarkable when I insisted upon the compassions of a dying Savior, the plentiful provisions of the Gospel and the free offers of divine grace to needy, distressed sinners. Nor would I be understood to insinuate, that such a religious concern might justly be suspected as not being genuine, and from a divine influence because produced by the preaching of terror for this is perhaps God's more usual way of awakening sinners, and appears entirely agreeable to scripture, and sound reason. But what I meant here to observe is, that God saw fit to employ and bless milder means for the effectual awakening of these Indians, and thereby obviated the forementioned objection, which the world might otherwise have had a more plausible color of making. And as there has been no room for any plausible objection against this work, 
in regard of the means, so neither in regard of the manner in which it has been carried on. It is true, persons' concern for their souls has been exceeding great, the convictions of their sin and misery have risen to a high degree, and produced many tears, cries, and groans but then they have not been attended with those disorders, either bodily or mental, that have sometimes prevailed among persons under religious impressions. There has here been no appearance of those convulsions, bodily agonies, frightful screamings, swoonings, and the like, that have been so much complained of in some places. Although there have been some who, with the jailer, have been made to tremble under a sense of their sin and misery, numbers who have been made to cry out from a distressing view of the perishing state, and some that have been, for a time, in a great measure, deprived of their bodily strength, yet without any such convulsive appearances. Nor has there been any appearance of mental disorders here, such as visions, trances, imaginations of being under prophetic inspiration, and the like or scarce any unbecoming disposition to appear remarkably affected either with concern or joy. Though I must confess, I observed one or two persons, whose concern, I thought, was in a considerable measure affected, and one whose joy appeared to be of the same kind. But these workings of spiritual pride I indeed were to crush in their first appearances, and have not since observed any affection, either of joy or sorrow, but what appeared genuine and unaffected. But, sixth lie, and lastly, the effects of this work have likewise been very remarkable. I doubt not but that many of these people have gained more doctrinal knowledge of divine truths, since I first visited them in June last, than could have been instilled into their minds by the most diligent use of proper and instructive means for whole years together, without such a divine influence. Their pagan notions and idolatrous practices seem to be entirely abandoned in these parts. They are regulated, and appear regularly disposed, in the affairs of marriage. An instance whereof I have given in my journal of August 14th. They seem generally divorced from drunkenness, their darling vice, the sin that easily besets them. So that I do not know of more than two or three who have been my steady hearers, that have drank to excess since I first visited them, although before it was common for some or other of them to be drunk almost every day and some of them seem now to fear the sin in particular more than death itself. A principle of honesty and justice appears in many of them, and they seem concerned to discharge their old debts, which they have neglected, and perhaps scarce thought of, for years past. Their manner of living is much more decent and comfortable than formerly, having now the benefit of that money which they used to consume upon strong drink. Love seems to reign among them, especially those who have given evidences of having passed a saving change and I never saw any appearance of bitterness or censoriousness in these, nor any disposition to esteem themselves better than others, who had not received the like mercy. As their sorrows under convictions have been great and pressing, so many of them have since appeared to rejoice with joy unspeakable, and full of glory. And yet I never saw anything ecstatic or flighty in their joy. Their consolations do not incline them to lightness, but, on the contrary, are attended with solemnity, and oftentimes with tears, and an apparent brokenness of heart, as may be seen in several passages of my journal and in this respect some of them have been surprised at themselves, and have with concern observed to me, that, when their hearts have been glad, which is a phrase they commonly make use of to express spiritual joy, they could not help crying for all. And now, upon the whole, I think I may justly say, here are all the symptoms and evidences of a remarkable work of grace among these Indians, that can reasonably be desired or looked for. May the great author of this work maintain and promote the same here, and propagate it everywhere, till the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. I have now rode more than three thousand miles, that I have kept an exact account of, since the beginning of March last and almost the whole of it has been in my own proper business as a missionary, upon the design either immediately or more remotely of propagating Christian knowledge among the Indians. I have taken pains to look out for a colleague, or a companion, to travel with me and have likewise used endeavors to procure something for his support, among religious persons in New England, which cost me a journey of several hundred miles in length. But have not as yet found any person qualified and disposed for this good work. Although I had some encouragement from ministers and others, that it was hopeful a maintenance might be procured for one, 
when the man should be found. I have likewise of late represented to the gentlemen concerned with this mission, the necessity of having an English school speedily set up among these Indians, who are now willing to be at the pains of gathering together in a body for this purpose. And in order thereto, have humbly proposed to them the collecting of money for the maintenance of a schoolmaster, and defraying of other necessary charges in the promotion of this good work which they are now attempting in the several congregations of Christians to which they respectively belong. The several companies of Indians I have preached to in the summer past, live at great distances from each other. It is more than seventy miles from Crossweeksung in New Jersey, to the forks of Delaware and Pennsylvania. And from thence to sundry of the Indian settlements I visited on Susquehanna, is more than a hundred and twenty miles. And so much of my time is necessarily consumed in journeying, that I can have but little for any of my necessary studies, and consequently for the study of the Indian languages in particular. And especially seeing I am obliged to discourse so frequently to the Indians at each of these places while I am with them, in order to redeem time to visit the rest. I am, at times, almost discouraged from attempting to gain any acquaintance with the Indian languages, they are so very numerous, some account of which I gave in my journal of May last and especially seeing my other labors and fatigues engross almost the whole of my time, and bear exceeding hard upon my constitution, so that my health is much impaired. However, I have taken considerable pains to learn the Delaware language, and propose still to do so, as far as my other business and bodily health will admit. I have already made some proficiency in it, though I have labored under many and great disadvantages in my attempts of that nature. And it is but just to observe here, that all the pains I took to acquaint myself with the language of the Indians I spent my first year with, were of little or no service to me here among the Delawares. So that my work, when I came among these Indians, was all to begin anew. As these poor ignorant pagans stood in need of having line upon line, and precept upon precept, in order to their being instructed and grounded in the principles of Christianity. So I preached publicly, and taught from house to house almost every day for whole weeks together, when I was with them. And my public discourses did not then make up the one half of my work, while there was so many constantly coming to me with that important inquiry, what must we do to be saved? And opening to me the various exercises of their minds. And yet I can say, to the praise of rich grace, that the apparent success with which my labors were crowned, unspeakably more than compensated for the labor itself, and was likewise a great means of supporting and carrying me through the business and fatigues, which, it seems, my nature would have sunk under, without such an encouraging prospect. But although the success has afforded matter of support, comfort, and thankfulness, yet in this season I have found great need of assistance in my work, and have been much oppressed for want of one to bear part of my labors and hardships. May the Lord of the harvest send forth other laborers into this part of his harvest, that those who sit in darkness may see great light, and that the whole earth may be filled with the knowledge of himself. Amen. David Brainerd Nove. 20, 1745. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. 
The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.